This morning's scripture reading will be taken from the New Testament, from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. If you're using the red Bible on the pew back in front of you, that's on page 807. Book of Matthew, verse, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And the Bible says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. If you're visiting with us, we're really glad that you're here this morning. I know that there are a lot, there are a lot of people traveling out of town and a lot of folks that are here for the holidays with their families. We're really, really glad that you've come to be with us. As a gospel preacher, part of my role, part of my responsibility, part of all of those who would preach the gospel is to proclaim the truth and sometimes to set the record straight. It bears mentioning as we think about what the world is talking about this time of year, Let's just stop and acknowledge some things for a few moments this morning. We want to honor and glorify God, and we want to proclaim what His Word teaches in an accurate way. You can read the Bible from front to back, from Genesis to Revelation, and you would never get the idea that there was anything special about December 25th as a date. I'm just talking about the date itself. If you just read from Genesis to Revelation, you'll never find that date specifically mentioned. You'll never find any association of that date with the birth of Christ. As a matter of fact, a fairly good case could be made for the idea that Christ was born sometime in the late spring. But because of tradition, people have decided that this is the day when they want to observe the birth of Christ. If you were reading the Bible from front to back, you would come away just talking about the truth here. You would come away from the Bible and you would never get the idea that there were one or two days of the year that were any more important to God than any others. When you read the New Testament, what you find is that New Testament Christians, they assembled on the first day of every week. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. Every first day of the week, they gathered together, they worshiped God together, and they thought about and they praised the God of heaven together. And so as you think about setting the record straight, it's well worth mentioning. These things are true. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. I see this phrase, this expression in a lot of people's front yards and a lot of signs this time of year, wise men still seek him. And it's a great expression to stop and contemplate. Because when you read Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, some extraordinary things happened. It says, as Glenn just read for us a moment ago in Matthew 2 verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. I was driving around with my family and looking at Christmas lights in people's yards and things recently and one of the songs that comes on the radio very often this time of year is, We Three Kings. Let's set the record straight for just a few moments. There are some misconceptions even about this particular Bible account. For example, if you look carefully at what the text is saying, these men were not called kings. 
in your Bible or mine, they are called wise men. The actual Greek word is magi, M-A-G-I. They are men who are astrologers. They are men who would be wise in the ways of the Eastern countries. Eastern countries being Babylon and Persia in the days of the Bible. And so these men were not kings that came to visit Jesus. They were magi. They were actually king makers historically. In other words, if the king died in Babylon or Persia, who do you get to crown the next king? Well, you get the magi, the wise men. They're the ones that decide from a hereditary right to rule standpoint, who's going to receive the crown? Who's going to be the next king? Second misconception based on this particular passage is the number. If you read Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 carefully, it never says there were three wise men. Even though the song may purport that there are three kings coming, it never tells you the number. It may well have been 20. It may have been 100. Nobody knows for sure. The Bible does not give us that information. The reason why some people think that there are just three is because there are only three gifts mentioned later on in verse 11 of Matthew 2 the gold and the frankincense of myrrh and myrrh. More about that in just a moment. Another misconception, that they came to visit Jesus while he was still in the stable laying in the manger. If you'll look very carefully at verse 16, when Herod wanted to make sure that he got this new born savior, when he wanted to make sure that he was going to carry out with the extermination of Jesus, he told his soldiers to annihilate every baby boy under the age of two. Now, are you telling me that you can't tell the difference between a two-year-old and a newborn? Are you telling me the people in the first century couldn't tell the difference? Why then the large time gap? Why should these soldiers murder all these baby boys under the age of two? Because it took some time for these wise men to arrive in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. If you look at a map of the old world, it was 700 or 800 miles at least by foot or by donkey or by camel, however they traveled, it was seven to 800 miles that they had to travel from where they began either in Persia or Babylon to Jerusalem. That's not a journey that you make overnight. Even 700 and 800 miles today is a long journey, isn't it? We can drive 70 miles an hour on the interstate. But in those days, this would have been a journey that required several months. And think about the preparations that would be required. If you were going to undertake a journey of that distance, to prepare for that journey, you would need supplies, you would need equipment, you would need provisions to make sure that the journey was going to be undertaken successfully. And so as you read this account, you read about these wise men who came to see Jesus. I stand by what I said earlier though, wise men really do seek the Savior. And our question this morning is this, what made these men truly wise? When you read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, there are some really surprising things that come out of this text that remind us about the wisdom that's involved in seeking the Lord. Six principles that I'd like to bring to your attention this morning. And here's the first one. 
As you read Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, notice, first of all, these men searched for Jesus. They went searching for Jesus. There is evidence from ancient history that people were influenced by the writings of Scripture. In the days of the captivity, 600 years before Christ, men like Daniel and men like Ezekiel, read those books. Daniel and Ezekiel were prophets of the Most High God. They spoke the truth. They wrote the truth in Scripture, and they did that in a foreign land. They did it in Babylon and Persia. And those scriptures, along with the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the Bible, those scriptures were collected and they were added to the writings and the collections of wisdom that those astrologers would have had, those people that were the Magi. And after six centuries, the influence of the Hebrew scriptures had had quite an effect. And so there were people in the days of King Herod in the days in which Jesus was born, there were people who had read the book of Daniel and they had properly understood that Daniel talked about four successive empires. And in the days of that fourth empire, Daniel chapter two, verse 44, in the days of the Roman kings, God was going to establish a kingdom. And because God was going to establish a kingdom, that of necessity meant that there was going to be a king to rule over that kingdom. And notice what they say in Matthew chapter two, verse two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. They know that there is someone who's going to be born and they decide to go search for him. It's not as if they just say, well, it's good that he's there in Jerusalem or wherever he is in the Holy Land in Israel and we're just going to be content with that knowledge. We want to see him. We want to put our eyes on him. We want to worship him. See that in Matthew chapter 2 verse 2? We've seen his star and we come to worship him. Application. Everybody, if we would be still enough, if we would be quiet enough, everybody knows there's something missing. Everybody does. If you'd be still enough and if you'd be quiet enough for long enough, when you stop and think about what you're doing with your life, when we stop and think about what we're pursuing, the things that the world says are so meaningful, the things that the world says are so important, you gotta give all your time, all your attention to these things or else your life's just empty. If we'd be still enough and quiet enough, we'd realize there's still something missing. Money can't fix it. Video games can't fix it. Shopping can't fix it. Holiday cheer can't fix it. There's something in my heart in my life that leaves me longing for more. The writer of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. And if you're really wise this morning, you will listen to that and you'll pay attention to the fact that all the money in the world is not gonna fix what's really wrong with us. And all the relationships in the world are not going to fix what's really wrong with us. And all the friends in the world that we can have are not really going to fix what's most wrong with us. And what's most wrong with us is the fact that we're guilty before God and we need a Savior. And these wise men, 
They had spent some time being quiet and being still and listening to the scriptures. And that's what drove them to seek after Jesus. And my challenge to you this morning, whoever you are, wherever you are in your life, don't ever forget that the most important person you could ever seek in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nobody who can compare to him. Later on in the book of John, chapter 12 and verse 21, some Greeks who had been still and quiet and listened to what's going on and the emptiness inside, some Greeks came and they said, sirs, we want to see Jesus. And that astounded the, the apostles. Why do you want to see Jesus? He's the Messiah. He's the Jewish king. Why do you want to see him? Because even the Gentiles could see there was something special that was happening. They went searching for Jesus. Do you? Second, they persevered in their search. You know what's interesting about Matthew chapter 2? This is a gospel account that was written for a Jewish reader. I mean, look at how Matthew chapter 1 begins. It begins with genealogies, talking about the heritage, the family tree of Jesus. Romans didn't care about that stuff. Greeks didn't care about that stuff. The Jews did, though. This account is written to the Jewish reader. And what's astounding is when the wise men arrive in Jerusalem and they say, we've come, we've seen his star and we want to worship him. Look at the reaction of the Israelites. They come to King Herod because, I mean, who else would you go to? If a new king's been born, you go to the current king on the throne and you say, hey, current king, in deference to you, in deference to your power and your might and your rule, We'd like permission to go see this newborn king. That's, that's who we want to talk to. Or that's who we want to see. It says in verse 3, Herod the king heard this and he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. These men were 800 miles away from the Savior. They made the journey and they knew more about what had happened than the people who lived four miles away from Bethlehem. You know, sometimes religiously speaking, sometimes familiarity can cause us to be blind. It can cause us to fail to see some things that are really important and really critical. And so it was with Herod and the Jewish priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. Really? A king's been born? This is news to us. We haven't seen that. We, we, how do you know this? They persevered in their search, even though they were disappointed. And imagine how deflating that must have been. 800 mile journey, months of travel, you get to the place where the king has been born and nobody seems to know anything about it. Nobody seems to know where he is. What do you do if you're the magi? What do you do if you're the wise men? Well, I guess this was a bust. Pack up and go home. Back to Persia we go. No, they wanted to find this king. They wanted to see this child. And so you'll see in verses 5 and 6, they kept listening to God. They made it all the way to Jerusalem. And then it was scripture that guided them on. Herod asks his counselors and advisors, when the Messiah is born, where is he going to be born? We don't know our Old Testament very well. So somebody somewhere found this in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, King Herod, verse 5 because it's written this way by the prophets. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are not the least among the rulers of Judah. 
For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So if we believe the Bible, King Herod, if we believe the prophets, then he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod summons privately, that's interesting, these wise men to himself, and he tells them where they're supposed to find this newborn king. Then those wise men begin their journey again. Look at verse 7. He determined what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, verse 8, and said, Go search carefully, find the child. I want to worship him also. Bring back word to me. And when they heard the king, they departed. And verse 9, Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. They searched for the Lord. They didn't stop too short. There are some people that begin looking for what we talked about a moment ago. They begin looking for God. They begin looking for a relationship with him. They begin looking for the Messiah and they get frustrated. Something doesn't go the way they expected. They hear something, they learn something about the Bible that they didn't know before and that really, that, that conflicts with the way that I think things ought to be. And if I'm really gonna submit to what this teaches, then that's gonna mean I have to revolutionize everything about the way I'm living. And the things that I believe and hold dear, those things are gonna have to change. If you're truly wise, you won't give up. Persevere in your search. Number three, these men were wise, brothers and sisters and friends, because they followed the light that God gave them. Back in verse two, where is he who is born king of the Jews? By the way, I said that Matthew's about the king of the Jews. It's about Jesus, about how he is the Messiah, the one that's been promised in the Old Testament. Matthew 2, 2 says, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east and we've come to worship him. Matthew 27, verse 37. When Pilate wrote the inscription above Jesus on his cross, you know what he said? This is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Jesus of Nazareth, the one who's dying for us. What's commendable about these wise men? They followed the light that God gave them. All they had were the writings of Daniel and Ezekiel and the Old Testament prophets and a star, a miraculous star. You know, people have tried for years to discern from astronomy what this star was when it appeared. I don't know that anybody's ever gonna be able to make sense of all that except to, th except to say this, there really was a star and it really did guide these men who were watching, who were looking to Jerusalem and ultimately to Bethlehem. When you look at Bible history, not everybody in the Bible had the same amount of revelation. For example, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Abraham, men like those, or people like that, those people had what preachers sometimes call the starlight revelation. They had a limited amount of information that came from God. They didn't know everything about how God was going to redeem the world, but they knew that God was making some important promises and they put their faith and their trust in the light that God gave them. Then later on, there came to be what sometimes preachers call the moonlight era. Moonlight, that is to say that when the law of Moses was given, and when the Old Testament was written, more was known about God's plan and about God's revelation, about how God was gonna redeem the world. And yet still, 
First Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12 tells us that there were things that the prophets desired to look into because they didn't know what exactly God was talking about in some areas. Brothers and sisters and friends, you and I live in what the Bible would, 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 uh, would talk about as being the sunlight era. Everything is fully seen, everything is fully known. These men, they lived in a time when they had a limited amount of information, but they did something with the information they had. And you know what? The information that they had by pursuing it led them to Christ. It led them to where they were seeking to go. And not only that, but in verse nine it says, the star stopped at Christ. In other words, they're following, and I don't know how this worked, that it was moving, it was moving, it was moving, but finally the star, it's a miraculous thing that's happening, the star stopped there. There are some applications worth considering. You know, sometimes people stop too soon in their search for Christ. They don't persevere. Sometimes people ask God for more information than he's already given. He has given us everything we need, all things pertain to life and godliness through his word. Second Peter chapter one, verses three and four. God has given us information that can make us complete, thoroughly furnished to every good work. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. And yet some people will look at the Bible and they'll read what it says and they'll see very clearly what God intends for us to do. And they'll say, I need some more information. I need to see a sign. I need confirmation. I need to know that this is really true. These men were wise because they did something. They followed the light that God gave them. You and I would be wise. When we know that the Bible commands us to do something, we'd be wise to do what the Bible says. Next. What made these men truly wise? Look at Matthew chapter two, again. They saw more in Jesus than others did. The Bible says when they saw the star, Matthew chapter two, verse 10, they exceedingly rejoiced. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They were thrilled, they were happy that now their journey was coming to an end. And then it says in verse 11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Incidentally, he's no longer laying in a manger, is he, when they come and find him? He's no longer in a stable, is he, when they come and find him? Verse 10 says, they came into the house. Joseph and Mary and Jesus are living in a house at this particular point. Some months have passed since his birth. And so these magi, and there might have been 50 of them for all we know, they come and they knock on the door of Mary's humble abode. And imagine the strange scene that unfolded. Nobody in Jerusalem seemed to know anything about this child. Nobody in Jerusalem seemed to know what had happened. These men had listened to what others declared, the prophets, the king, the wise men in Jerusalem. They thought for themselves and they said, you know what? We're gonna go and we're gonna seek out this child anyway. And the strange scene that unfolds is that they worshiped him, not his parents. That's worth mentioning. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't exonerate or venerate her. What they did was they worshiped the child. I know a lot of two-year-olds. I know a lot of one-year-olds. 
it would be the farthest thing from any of our minds to bow down and to worship a one-year-old. I mean, think about it. These men come into the house and they want to see the child and they worship him. They praise him. They bring him gifts. What's special about these men that makes them wise? They looked at this child and they saw that there was something very special about him. They knew something that the wisest and most learned men in all of Israel did not. And that's one of the things God specializes in, brothers and sisters and friends. If you'll listen with an honest heart to God's will, you will see and perceive things that people who have been reading and studying and learning all kinds of biblical languages and technical minutia that they've missed. Why? Because it's all about Christ and who he is. It's all about his identity and whether or not we're going to follow him with all of our hearts. Later on, when this child grew up, he challenged his disciples and one of the questions he asked them in Matthew 16, verse 15, who do you say that I am? If you're wise, you'll answer that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? A good teacher? A wise man? Who is he in your mind, in your heart? They were wise because they saw more in Jesus than others did. Number five, what made these men truly wise? Look at Matthew chapter two, verse 11. They gave generously. They came into this house, they worshiped the child and the Bible says they brought treasures. They presented gifts to him. One of the things that the Bible indicates is a mark of true heartfelt devotion is generosity. Generosity. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Acts chapter 20, verse 35. If we don't have a giving heart, we're not really very close to the heart of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave, John 3, verse 16. There's something about generosity that manifests a genuinely devoted heart. And these men were wise because they showed something of what was in their hearts when they came and saw this child who had been born, the king of the Jews. They brought him gold. Gold was the gift that you'd give to the king. I mean, if you're coming to a king and you're going to bring him a present, don't bring him something less than gold because gold is what kings deserve. They hold scepters and they wear crowns of gold and that's what kings are given. Incidentally, back in Luke chapter 2, when you read about Joseph and Mary first coming to the temple to present Jesus Christ on the eighth day after his birth, they just had the turtle doves, remember? That, that was the offering of the poor. If they had had gold at that particular point, if these wise men had already visited, why didn't they bring the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh that had already been given to them as gifts? There's something about the timeline here that gets skewed by people who write songs and embrace traditions. Notice they bring frankincense. Frankincense is a gift that would be used in temple worship. It was a gift that would be given to a god, interestingly enough, and myrrh. Myrrh was a spice that was used to embalm those who had passed from this life, an embalming spice. 
and you look at the gifts that were given to this child, gold, gift for a king, frankincense, gift for a god, myrrh, gift for one who would die. Notice this, as you look at the passage, number six, what made these men wise? They continued in God's will. Having seen this young child that they traveled hundreds of miles to put their eyes on, to bring gifts to, it says in verse 12, then being divinely warned in a dream. Notice how God reveals his will to these men. First, there's a star. Then there are the scriptures when they arrive in Jerusalem. Micah chapter five, verse two is consulted and it's given to them by the king. And now they're being warned in a dream. God speaks to them in a dream and he says, do not return to Herod. Don't go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's only four or five miles away from Bethlehem. It's not far. It's actually on the way back to the east if they're going home. God says, don't go that way. And so they departed to their own country another way. They continued in God's will. We need to stop and think about the power of perseverance about what it means to walk in the light. First John chapter one, verse seven. It means that yes, salvation and forgiveness can be ours through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And after we've become new creatures, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, after we've participated in the new birth, John chapter three, verse five, God wants us to walk in a new and better way. Don't go back the way you came. I'm going to give you a new way to walk. I'm going to give you a new path to tread. That's what God did for these wise men. They continued in God's will. I'd like to know the rest of what happened to those men after they left. If God continued to speak to them divinely, directly, miraculously, what he said, what they said when they got back to the east and they talked to the kings and the nobles and the courts, I'd like to know more about those things. But this is where the Bible leaves us with these wise men. And one of the things that really fascinates me is this. When you read Matthew, the Israelites that should have seen the genealogy and should have read the signs and should have known this was the king of the Jews that was born in Bethlehem, they missed it completely. These wise men from hundreds of miles away who had just the dim light of a star and some Old Testament scriptures had figured out some things that others had not. That's the point. And if you and I are truly wise, we'll seek after Jesus Christ as well. Get rid of all the tradition, get rid of all that men say, get rid of all that other people are talking about and look at the scripture. What does it reveal about him? And will I submit to him? Will I worship him? Will I give honor and homage to him? Will I allow him to be the Lord, the king of my life? If you're truly wise, you'll do what they did. Open your songbooks and open to the song that David announced just a few moments ago. The king has extended you an invitation. More than anything, he wants you to be right with him. You become a child of God when you believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, when you repent of your sin, when you confess that he is the king, he's the son of God, and when you're baptized for the remission of your sins. 
if we can help you make that decision this morning, if you need to respond and ask for prayers, the King's invitation is yours as we stand and sing.